0: What did your neighbours think of this project? Probably thought I was crackers, really. This is Cold War Conversations.
1: If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. If the fallout warning sounds are heard, they will be like these. Buy food well-wrapped or in tins. By the way, don't forget your tin opener and bottle opener.
0: If you're new here, you've come to the right place for unique first-hand accounts of the Cold War. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so you don't miss out on future episodes. Graham Bate was a 30-year-old civil servant when he built his own nuclear bunker in the garden of his rural home 20 miles outside Hull in the UK. It was here that the Bate family expected to survive for at least three weeks after a nuclear attack. We speak with Graham Bate and his son Conrad who was five years old when the bunker was built and has vivid memories of the period. Now, Cold War history is disappearing, however, a simple monthly donation will help preserve these accounts and keep this podcast on the air. You'll get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history.
1: I'm Tim from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I support the Cold War Conversations podcast financially because of the great research and the quality of the storytelling just go
0: to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If a financial contribution is not your cup of tea, then you can still help us by leaving written reviews wherever you listen to us and sharing us with your friends. It really helps us. Now, I'm delighted to welcome Graham and Conrad to our Cold War conversation.
1: It was early 80s, so we're looking at probably nearly 10 years before the Berlin wall came down. Um, and there was quite a lot of tension in the world. A lot of, there was a lot of hype about protection from nuclear attack in the media, mainly newspapers. And, um, a lot of talk about how the, the queen had access to it and the, the top of the top, of the MPs in the House of parliament had, but the grunts like us, uh, uh weren't looked after. We were just cannon fodder if something happened, apart from daft uh, things about sitting under the stairs if there was a blast and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not saying it would be a completely waste of time doing that, but it's a bit pathetic, really, when it's trying to protect yourself from nuclear weapons. It's a bit like trying to put a paper bag up against a bullet. Um, Similar similar sort of effect, really. Um, So there was a lot of talk around... And I got interested in trying to do something myself. I looked around to see what other people were doing. There was a lot of amateur at- attempts, building under garages and stuff like that, really Heath Robinson-type uh, stuff. Uh, but I got in con- contact with a guy called Tom Butler from Nuclear Protection. I'm not sure if he's still around, actually. but uh, And I spoke to him about trying to build my own bunker, and uh, he um, gave me a blueprint of a standard bunker design, which was up to Swiss standards, which was the best standard at the time, because uh, the Swiss at the time had been building nuclear shelters for all their population, and they were pretty much done and dusted in early 80s. Uh, they were fully protected if there was a nuclear war um, for all the population, not just the uh, elite. Um, and uh, I thought it was a good idea, and I sort of uh, got involved in it um costed it out we had a big back garden we had about two four acres at the back uh, and the garden was over an acre so we had plenty of room and I'm a structural engineer by by profession uh so I knew how to go about uh getting a contractors in to do it to do the excavation work to build the to build the hill afterwards because we had to build it a bit out of the ground because of uh, the fact we're in a flood area. So if there was a nuclear blast, the flood protection could be breached. So I had to design for that as well. So I didn't want to drown even if we'd survived a nuclear blast. Um, And so I went ahead with it. It cost a lot of money in today's terms. It would probably be something like about 70 or 80,000, maybe even a bit more. Um, in those days, I think it was thick end of 20,000. So it was a lot of money, but it was all to Swiss standards. So it was all Swiss gear, Swiss ventilation, manual ventilation. Um, there was uh, filters for biochemical attack as well as nuclear. Um, but I'd done all the research. I'd done all the studies. I knew all about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and about the survival, people who survived. Um, so I was fully confident and got on with it.
0: So nuclear protection was a company that built bunkers, was it in the UK? No,
1: they didn't really build bunkers. No, they just supplied the gear to build them. They supplied the uh, shells for the blast-proof doors and the casings because they were made of um, two hundred mil thick reinforced concrete. The doors uh, they weren't like little tin bits of tin that uh, the MOD was using at the time. This was proper gear, um, and uh, they they provide all the ventilation equipment and, and they provide the design as well so that you could have a standard pod you could build and They the hatch covers and things like that ventilation pipes uh, the, the ladder inside all that type of thing they'd supply
0: and can you describe the the bunker it sounds like it was partially underground with a with an earth mound over the
1: top that's right yes yeah, it was built it's just trying to think of the size of it, something like about in the main chamber was something like about probably about 15 foot long, maybe, maybe, maybe slightly shorter. Uh, probably about six, seven foot wide, a bit like the inside of a caravan, really. Imagine with not much in it.
0: Graham's five year old son, Conrad, was slightly less impressed by the design because
2: I remember thinking, don't they have to be underground? I mean, it is underground, but it's a hill. So it's maybe half out, half in. And I remember I mean I was five, but I remember thinking it was a it wasn't as good as it should be, you know, like a kid sort of does. So never said it. But I thought, eh, you say it's a bombshell, but it's sticking out of the ground, you know, that kind of thing. That's the sort of five year old mindset.
0: Here's Graham again, continuing his description.
1: And then there was a, a chamber where you came down. Uh, an entry chamber which was separate from the main chamber where you, was, you basically decontaminated if you came down the ladder so you had place to um, decontaminate yourself that was also shielded it wasn't it wasn't shielded to a lesser standard
0: his comrade describing his first time he entered the bunker
1: i remember the first
2: time i went in it i was really nervous there's a thing on the way down the steps with the metal steps are quite steep well they're steep steps they're like ladder but very long step ladder so you've got a big place to put your foot and there's this little red thing i still don't know what it is it tip, it sort of tips with the wind i think it's some sort of pressure gauge and it's it's about the size of a, of a clock face some small clock face and it, it it bounces around and i think it's some sort of pressure gauge and uh, i'm but i don't know why this got my attention but i was i was i didn't like it this thing tapping around as i was going down the steps And I didn't like the fact that I couldn't lift the door up, but I could just about get it to move. There was a peg, like quite a good metal peg that goes in it to stop it from falling on you. And I didn't trust this peg, you know. I I remember things like that, like not wanting to go down unless uh, somebody was holding the, the door. And I think my dad was always below me anyway.
0: Back to Graham describing the interior.
1: The main chamber was accessible through two doors, so you had a, a first door and a second door. Um, and then there was an emergency escape hatch if the main chamber became blocked. And there was an emergency escape hatch as well with an extra door and an extra front cover.
0: Young Conrad was really impressed by the weight of the main chamber's door.
2: I remember the dad showed me the door inside and told me it weighed a tonne. And I remember not really knowing what a tonne was, but thinking it was going to an enormous amount of weight. You know, like... Nothing human is a ton, you know, that kind of thing. And and I could sort of move it, not much. I could kind of really push it. I could kind of get it to move an inch or two, a millimeter or two. And this door does weigh a ton. It's uh, uh, on two or three big hinges, and it moves very slowly. And you have to really get it moving with your weight, but it will slowly start to creep open. It's thick. You know, it, it's a giant lump of concrete. It's very well balanced for what it is.
0: Graham goes on to describe the water supply and the sanitation.
1: It had uh, tanks in there for water and there was a toilet uh, with a chemical toilet. So it had a chemical toilet in there. There wasn't a shower facilities, but there was food. Uh, so you say plenty of water. There was the ventilation system um, and there was bunks in there and with, a, with sort of bedding, etc. like that.
0: Conrad vividly remembers the smell. I
2: I remember going down and how cold it was. The difference in temperature is quite obvious. And it's got a smell. Um, Smell is pretty unique, actually, to bomb shelters, if I'm honest. It smells sort of like concrete and grease and oil. And, you know, uh, it's a a smell that you immediately recognise when you're in the bomb shelter with your eyes closed. Um, And uh, it... It has a cold dampness to it. It's kind of hard to explain. The atmosphere, it's not unpleasant, but it's just different.
0: Do check out the photos in the episode notes that show the interior and outside of the bunker. I asked Graham about local planning permission.
1: I'm not sure. I didn't apply for it. Um,
0: <laughs> a bit late okay. now.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Well, no, no, now they'd be more twitchy, but in those days it was... F- things are fairly relaxed I don't think at the time you did I think I did look into it and I think it was because it was a private shelter it didn't need it although it was some gray area so I didn't bother to inquire I just got on with it I never had any issues with planning and of course it's been there for over 10 years now so it's got full planning by default so they can't tell you to take it out now
0: yeah and what, what did your family think about this project
1: and I think my wife was a bit sceptical about it. Um, our kids, well, they just thought we'd do, they'd do what the parents did, really. I mean, they were stinking at the age, and then they were quite young, really. Um, 81, so where are we? 20, 20 years, 40 years ago. Isn't it? So, so you know, young kids, really. Uh, they thought, They thought it was great climbing down the ladder and stuff like that. You know. And we we did stay in it for one of the TV companies. We stayed in there for a week. So we did have a trial run down there, see what it was like.
0: Here's Conrad describing his experience of the trial run.
2: So we lived down there for a week for the TV And we did live down there. We we didn't get out, nothing. And we had this hand pump shower. It was a yellow thing. We had a sort of suction pump. And it it didn't really shower. It came out like a glug. Um, it was worked. I didn't really like using it, but it worked. um we didn't cheat, so we didn't we did everything down there um we lived for a week. I lived in a triple bunk, which I thought was awesome. you know it was just three bits of wood with a chain hanging off the wall and a, and a hinge but I've got a feeling I was on the bottom um I think my brother was above me, and I'm not sure. I think my mum and my dad was above that, and then my sister was on the floor, somewhere. It's not very big in there, but it felt like about the size of a caravan, so it wasn't intolerable. Um, I I remember really enjoying it. When you're little, being around your mum and dad a lot is always good. Like you just appreciate, you just think I've got my dad whenever I want him. He's just there, you know. It probably pushed my mum and dad quite hard, but I I wouldn't I didn't remember it like that. I remember it being like. An, like an adventure, and it it felt like it lasted less than a week to me. That sounds weird, but it it did. Um, I'm not even sure what the routine was. I just remember being in there um, and doing lots of repetitive tasks, like the the spinning the air filter. I think we probably played board games and stuff, but I don't really remember that. Drawing, I guess, doing some reading, I guess. I don't remember doing that, but I'm assuming that's what we did. Um, it, it's like when you go in a car you know you go a long journey in a car you you, you get you, the car is a bind, you're like measuring the miles and it's like 20 miles to go wow that's really good and you finally get out of the car and you think crap it's two hours and I don't remember really what happened but when you're in the car it's a grief but as soon as you're out it's like it's time warp and it's a bit like that in the sense you go in there, Well, you're there it drags all the time and then when you're out it's like a compressed amount of time in your memory, um, and then we we did the TV people again, and the Australians were lovely, and they asked us nice questions. They talked to us, as, even though we were kids. I remember they were talking to us properly. The the people from I'm I'm going to say Granada, but I don't know who they were. They were they were where there's life. They were a bit snotty, and snooty, and they they just seemed a bit. I just remember this, um, not not thinking they cared at all. And then we. Went back to what we were doing, and I remember it, we watched it. I can't remember actually what it was that we was on, but it was really short. We watched Where There's Life. We stayed up to watch it. Um, it was some weeks, months, must have been later. It was on a Thursday, I think, and we were watching it, and it was like gone in like four minutes, and it was like, well, that was a waste of time. You know, we've been in a bunker, and my mum. Years later, I think we were in Germany, which would have put me at about 11 because we went to Germany quite a number of years on a trot but around when I was 11 and 12. And my mum came back from somewhere and she said that someone had stopped her who was Australian and said that she recognized her from the TV uh, and that the TV show in America, in Australia, was much longer. um, so we, we, I think we were more, we were, we I not, I not s the word celebrity would not even come close to dignifying it, but like we were, we had some, they'd obviously made an effort to put a show together, but I guess it's got that flavor, isn't it? It, it, it's the other side of the world for them and, you know, things like that. So, um, we, we would probably feel the same if not. We had a, a footage of Australians living in the outback, you know, in a bunker. We'd probably think that was cool, you know? So, um, probably that was why but but it was it, I remember that being cool and, and that was years later and they rec- and I think one was queuing for ice cream or something and she said this woman had spoken to her
0: Graham had a slightly different view of the experience
1: yeah, a bit boring really yeah, I think the main problem was the making sure the air was properly circulated because um, you couldn't operate the pump all the time because obviously you had to go to sleep um, so uh, you, you didn't need to operate it very long to completely change all the air in the in the shell in the chamber.
0: One of Comrade's favourite jobs was helping with the ventilation of the bunker.
1: So there was a there's an air extractor
2: system, and it's quite sensitive to how fast you turn the handle to pump air. But basically, a manual pump. You you, you it's a bit like the old starter motor of a 1920s motor car, but in the wall. And it's got a little glass window on it with a red and black pressure tick. It's a mechanical thing, and it's, the piece inside flicks from black to red if you're doing it too fast. There's a certain amount of pressure it likes to work under, and you have to spin it quite slowly. And I used to think that was like a bit r- rubbish, and I'd be like trying to spin it as fast as I could as a little kid, and I was trying to go for it. And I'd always have it tick onto the red, and I'd always get told off for it. And we used to do that quite often. So we'd twist this spinner and it's quite heavy to get it going. I used to like doing that. I thought it was fun. Um, But I was always being told off for doing it too fast. And I thought I was doing it slowly, you know, but I was doing it too fast.
0: Here Graham describes what happened when the oxygen levels got too low in the bunker.
1: But what I did find out is that the human body is quite cleverly designed and that when your CO2 level in an area where you are sleeping goes up to too high a level, you wake up. It's an automatic um, preservation thing. I didn't know that humans had that built into them, but they do have, as I found out. So I used to go to sleep and about three or four hours, it'd be stuffy, woke, woke up, put the, put the air pump on and and didn't bother anyone else. Right. What did your neighbours think of this project? Probably thought I was crackers, really. But I think there was a lot of um, there was a lot of talk at the time. It wasn't just me talking about it. It Was there was a lot of talk. I mean, there was the um, where I'm where I'm now, East Riding was called Humberside Humberside in those days, and Humberside County Council had an emergency planning department, and uh, they trained volunteers what to do in the in event of a nuclear attack. And that's um, I did get. I used to be a member of that. Uh, Humberside County Council team as a volunteer, and I um, I used to go to their conferences and uh, attend their training. So um, there was um, there was a lot of there was a lot more people involved than perhaps you would now think.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I do remember that that period of the early eighties where obviously there were the big CND demonstrations as well. Cruise missiles were being deployed and it seemed like the tensions had, had ratcheted up somewhat during that period did you practice getting in in there sort of like within 4 minutes or or anything like that
1: well no that was a bit of hogwash really that's just media hype i mean basically if there was a nuclear war declared um i would um i would have got the family in there straight away i did make sure there was enough food in there for a, a number of weeks so that um you know, we had we had contingency plans. I didn't want the situation to be where we were trying to rush. You know, it's not like getting ready for a holiday or anything. You've you've got to have it ready to go, really, at all times. So, basically, meant everyone just trooping in and in you go. You know. I don't think we'd have got a four minute warning where we were. I'm not aware there was any sirens anywhere near us. Um, you'd probably just seen a flash. And just um, just hope that it was a long way away because we're in the country and we probably would have been, unless there was a, a bad a bad aiming. Um, we weren't near any big town, so I'm um, no doubt we'd have had the effects of the nu- nuclear fallout. But the actual blast and radiate and initial flash was probably quite low low likelihood of us being hurt by that. Although the building the house we are in probably would have had the windows smashed and stuff like that. Mm. But that would have probably stayed intact unless, unless they say it was a, near, was, a, was a fairly near strike.
0: So I guess you were assuming there would be some build-up of international tension and then you would be yeah, at yeah. home and ready to go.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the media would then sort of report oh, the Prime Minister's gone in his bunker and thought, well, if the Prime Minister's going in there, I'll go as well. <laughs> that's, what, you know, that's the way I looked at it. <laughs> And how
0: long did you think you were going to have to stay in there if uh, the worst happened?
1: Well, I had a had a a, 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 a radiation meter, external probe, and, I had an, and, and an inside one as well, so I could I could I could test the um, radioactivity levels. But I think with the with the half life of most nuclear explosions, if you can stay in there 14 days, um, the radiation level after about 14 days should have dropped sufficiently to go out for short periods and then as time went on the radiation would drop off and go lower and lower until it became virtually negligible
0: what sort of food did you have in there presumably it was mainly tinned
1: yeah it was just tin. really we didn't have anything uh tin was the most simple thing and as long as you had a tin opener uh, uh, we had a we had a we had a we had a means of heating as well we had a little like you would camping like camp i think we had a, a paraffin heater so that something a bit easier than gas um so we had a fairly crude heating device but that worked
0: yeah conrad wasn't a big fan of the food in the bunker
2: i remember we went to a shop called nissa which is gone now and it had it was a reasonably big brand then It had this black and white paper very very sort of weirdly world war ii looking ration pack type of product and everything they had was white with this really really weird font it was it it's the sort of font that the a team's written in you know with the a team logo with the a and they deliberately played on this it was black and white labelled, and i'm sure it was nissa this company but it was their budget brand and everything we had to eat was nissa and it was like tins of beans from Nyssa, milk powder from Nissa, And I bloody hated Nyssa. I, was just like, <laughs> I just remember this stuff just thinking it was horrible. And everything, porridge, everything came with this, you know, whatever it was, cereal. It was a white box or a white tin or a white packet. And it was this black stencil writing and, nothing, and then some ingredients on the back. And it was really basic. And I don't know what happened to that brand or that store, but I just remember this Nissa. I didn't know, I think it was Nissa at the time. I, I, I looked it up for some reason like 10 years ago. So I was trying to describe it to my mate. remember that stuff that was horrible, and no one else could remember it. And I looked, it, when I saw it, I a picture on Google Images, and I was like, that's it. And it was Nissa. It was made by Nissa as their massively budget Tesco version of Tesco Value.
0: Because you'd think if you were going to be stuck in a bunker, you'd have you know, you take down some decent food with you rather than a budget brand.
2: Oh, no, no, but that's, like, not made that way. It's just it's just calories, you know.
0: I asked Graham how the lighting in the bunker was powered.
1: Yeah, we had a battery. We had two systems. We had the normal peacetime battery, uh, lighting, which was just fluorescent lights in those days, no LEDs. But we had a uh, secondary 12-volt battery back up. We had a couple of big, deep... Uh, capacity discharge batteries that we should have lasted the time we didn't really have any system to charge them back up again there was no solar panels in those days or if there were they were fairly crude so we couldn't have uh, nowadays you could just plop a little solar panel outside and uh, once the blasts had stopped they didn't get damaged and um, uh, it would happily you know charge your batteries up in the day and discharge at night
0: you had estimated that the batteries would last the 14 days
1: yeah, because you wouldn't have them all, all the time, you know. And you, we had torches, had torches as well. We had about half dozen torches, so they were emergency torches. So you, you know, we had it. We had it all. Then they were all sort of parked on the wall in strategic places, you know. So it was, it was, it was well thought out. Really.
0: How would you know it was safe to come out of the bunker? Would you? Would that would have been based on the radiation levels you were detecting outside?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'd have we'd have had a radio as well to see. If we could pick up anything, you know, from from outside broadcasts, um, which might give us a bit of confidence, but I mean, I would have just stuck my head out. Really, if if the if the radiation levels had dropped outside to a sensible level, I would have stuck my head out and had a look.
0: Conrad talks about his view of staying in the bunker once a nuclear attack had started.
2: You wouldn't. You would if it was a nuclear attack. It would be more than a week, but I don't think it was many weeks. And I think there was he talked about how he would go out alone, come back, and there'd be a shower, he'd have to have a shower and he'd go out alone and come back. And he and he talked about how he would slowly come out and he would say, We'd go out for an hour and come back in, you know, and stay in and what you know, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't like you don't just leave, you leave and come back, leave and come back and slowly stretch the time out. That kind of thing. And he was going to go first for I suspect for at least a week so whatever happened when it felt better what better would look like I don't know he would be the one going in and out um all parents love their kids but my dad has got an excess of that he's really interested in his kids safety if that makes sense um like all parents are interested in their kids safety but my dad is He's an extreme variant. You know, he's very cautious and stuff like that. So, and he's very, even now, he, he'll come to my house and he'll insist on going up the ladder and doing the gutters at my house. And he and he won't let me go the ladder. And he's an old guy. And I'm like, Dad, and he's like, no, because if, if I fall down, I've had my life. That's what he says, you know. And he still does stuff for me that he thinks is dangerous.
0: I asked Graham what the post-nuclear world would look like
1: well, there'd be a lot of people, uh, a lot of hungry people around. I think it would um, law and order would, would, would dis would would disin- disintegrate initially. Um there wouldn't been I mean the police force probably would have been if they had been around, they'd probably been decimated and killed like a lot of the population. The army probably would be a bit more organised than the police, a bit more protected. So but again we're in the country, the likelihood is there wouldn't be an awful lot of people around, uh, I suspect, but th- those that were around would probably want to try thieving your food and getting what you had. So you'd have to be ready to protect yourself.
0: And were you? Did you have weapons?
1: No, no, I wasn't into weapons. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I wasn't into guns or knives or anything like that. I just, uh, I mean, I did have my tools in the shed. Um, we had a small holding, so it was a far, small farm in a way. Side axes and stuff like that, and and pitchforks and things for hay. So uh, I, suppose, if the worst comes to the worst, we could have used those.
0: Were were you fearful of people trying to get into the bunker whilst you were sheltering in there?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was proof against that. It, you couldn't get in uh, from the outside unless you used mechanical cutting tools. You know, you you, you wouldn't be able to get in by if if you're in there you'd you'd it was it was properly locked See, they couldn't they had proper push buttons on all the all the latches and stuff you, you wouldn't have been again
0: one of the local villagers tells conrad what he would do if there was a nuclear attack
2: there was a guy in the village and he and i was a kid and he went up to me and he said i said oh we've got a nuclear bomb shelter you know because you just well people asked you and thought you were a bit weird and i'd say yeah we do and 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 this guy just said, I don't. He, I think he was a bit drunk and joking, and he just said, I don't need a nuclear bomb shelter. I've got a shotgun. I need to, all I need to know is where one is. I hated that guy. I proper hated him. I didn't want to go near him. I thought he was some weirder, and I just thought that's a horrible way to look at. And, and I suspect that's not actually far off quite a lot of people's mindset. You know, if if, if there was some siren going off, they'd come barrowing down and. You wouldn't, do you know what I mean? You might not get away with
0: it, you know. Here's Graham telling me how they kept themselves entertained.
1: Yeah, I think we had book, books. So we had some um, a lot of pencils and paper. Um, I think we had some, a, a primitive prim, primitive game device, I think, I seem to remember one of the early um, daft games that used to be around in those days. Yeah. Um, I think I don't know if we I don't think we had any jigsaws down there but I think we just tried to keep the kids entertained that was the main problem just keeping them entertained really
0: Conrad tells us of his view of that one week stay in the bunker
1: I think we'd been in there probably
2: maybe half a dozen times just in and out you know doing stuff but when we when we actually went to stay in for a week um I don't remember having as much stuff in before, you know what I mean? It was packed for the, you know, not packed with food, but just, it was for, the, there was thing, you know, we were planned to live in there. Does that make sense? It's like a caravan holiday as opposed to a caravan in storage. You know, they look this different. Um, So I can't remember too much about the way it was before. We certainly never used the shower before. I think I'd washed my hands in the sink once. Um, and this time, we were using the sink, the hand pump sink, but we were using it, uh, you know, every time we needed to wash our hands, you know what I mean? Um, we weren't using the water wastefully, but there was enough. You know what I mean? We, my dad was aware of it, and we were allowed to, to use the sink and wash up. And I just remember the, the pump slurping, you know, like a hand pump? And it was like a pipe came out of the wall. It was really naff, really. And you just sort of pulled the handle, and this, this thing was, it was like a bit like a beer pump, but but not as cool, and it was just this flange thing, like a black rubber hand pump on a, on a yellow sort of lever and metal pipe, and you just pulled it, and it literally sort of squirted out water like in gulps as you pulled it. Um, but it worked.
0: So, what, what was the what was the sort of sanitary facilities like?
2: Oh, I think we had um, a loo like a chemical. Yeah, I think we did. Good question actually. I think we had a green one. You take it as I I'm pretty sure there was a green portaloo with a white concertina plunger in the corner and you had to push it and I think my thumb didn't like it. You know, when I just didn't have the power in my fist. And I was able to really push it and I didn't like this thing. I think it lasted the week.
0: Yeah. And did you have books and things down there? I mean, you mentioned that you think you had board games, but...
2: We must have done. We must have done, but I don't remember any of that. We had no telly, no radio. No nothing. And it was just... We must have had colouring books and pen and paper and read to and done we, we must have had our days broken up I remember the tasks being quite a big part of it the the, the, the turn of the fan like a thing that I used to have a turn of like my brother would do it for a bit and it would we wouldn't do it for a bit and then my dad would do it for a bit and, and it would be my turn I remember really liking doing it
1: I don't know why
0: well I guess it's something it's something to do at the end of the day, isn't it? So, and something you feel as though you're doing something important as well as a young kid.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably it on the head there. Yeah, I just remember being really eager to do it and not always doing it too fast for this little thing that ticked back and forth. My dad going, "Oh, you're doing it too fast," you know.
0: Yeah, I was. I was just thinking, if you're down there for that, you know, like seven days, was there any? And you again you may not remember this, but any way of distinguishing between what was daytime and what was nighttime?
2: No, other than the lights going on and off. We did keep to the obviously the real I think to some degree. I don't I think it was I think it was summer when we did it. So we probably turned the lights off a little bit earlier than natural daylight. My dad probably kept the hours that kids needed. Yeah, no, I I, I don't remember it being I remember we oh do you remember? Having I mean, powdered milk cereal, I bloody hated it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, like mixing the powdered milk was just like, oh, please, no more. We had a lot of pasta, I think. We had a lot of dry stuff that needed water and tins. You know, it was like that. Um, and um, I think there was a stove of sorts, there must have been.
0: I asked Graham if he's ever seen the film Threads, which depicted a nuclear attack on the city of Sheffield in the
1: UK. Yeah, probably. Uh, probably don't know it by that name. Don't quite know why I wouldn't know it by that name. But I think I think was it the one where the people went under the stairs and stuff or um I did attend a program, I'm not sure if it was BBC or ITV, and I was a, a member of the audience and I was asked the question, I think. Uh, it was called The Day After or something, the something the day after um it rings a bell um i don't think that was that was the film i think it was an earlier one was it was it a, an education film or was it
0: no it was a drama it was a bbc or itv drama
1: a drama no yeah i probably wouldn't have watched it because i've probably been very cynical about them you know <laughs> i'm a bit cynical about that type of uh, big big boy immediately i do i did find then and certainly now the, the the knowledge of the media at the time about nuclear was extremely poor really the education of the average person on the tv was very low so they didn't understand what they were talking about most of the time which probably hasn't greatly changed i suspect but it, it was it was something i probably wouldn't have got terribly interested in really because i i knew how to How to do things, and I didn't need any drama program to watch it. I was—I'd actually done something. I hadn't talked about it. I'd done it.
0: It, It—it sounds like, I mean, the fact you've been invited onto a TV program, you'd—you'd sort of become semi-famous for the man who'd built his own nuclear bunker.
1: Yeah, I suppose I I did. Really, we got—we got—we got. got, I think we must have had half a dozen TV networks down. We even had—I think we had a Korean, South Korean team down. We know we had Channel Seven of Network Australia. We had. um, several TV companies in the UK. Um, I think we had one or two people who wanted to write books, got contact, stuff like that. Um, and so we had a big spread in the Sunday Times, um, which in those days was a pretty big paper, you know. Now, so we've sort of known, really, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily a celebrity or anything, but uh, I suppose we're fairly young as well. So, know yeah, sort of photographically with the young family, it sort of made good... Yeah, you it's know, sort of quite pictorial, you know. And now I don't think, I think I'd break the camera lens if they photograph me now, but in, in those days, I wasn't too bad looking, I suppose.
0: I'm looking at the photo now of you with the beard and the uh, the 80s hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right, the 80s. I've, it's nice to have hair. I mean, you know, I wish I could have cut some off and stuck it on now, but...
0: I asked Conrad if he ever brought any friends home to see the bunker
1: weirdly
2: as a primary school it wasn't a thing it just didn't come up at secondary school a couple of my mates came to visit me we went i went to a private school about 20 miles away maybe maybe a bit less but it was all, it was like half an hour a slog to get to school and we were in the hillbillies so people didn't really come to visit but i remember when i got 12, 12 13 you'd have people sleep over yeah and they we've got a we had a reasonably sized farmhouse uh it was all right and they'd they would come back to school and make two statements about us. They'd say, oh, I was at Comrade's house over the weekend. He's got a massive house. That was one. He's a right snob. You know, oh, we weren't, but that was what they said. And then it was, oh, and they've got a bombshell in their garden. And that was like the two things that they would say about us. And, and I'd get like more questions than grief, but the odd, they thought it was, like an eye-rolling thing to have in your garden. But it never upset me. And I just used to say, Yeah, it's really cool. If you come down I'll let you go in there. And letting that thing about letting people go in there, my goodness, the amount of ones, friends that I took down there was ridiculous. Every single one of my mates wanted to go and have a look. You know, and, and once they'd seen it, they thought it was cool. As as it got older it got more of a storeroom status, less than a bombshell and more of a place to put stuff. Um, so it got less cool. But the first few years when I took my friends down, when I was old enough to sort of do that, I'd unpeg it, put the peg in, get, and they'd be like impressed that I could do it, you know, and then the other way, and you had to operate it. I'd go in and I'd be like, "Um, yeah, this is where you sleep. And And those, and the mattresses were laid out and there were still bits of tinned food still in the cupboards, you know, that kind of thing. You could kind of imagine living there. And slowly but surely we ate all the food by bringing it back in the house and, and even years later, there was stuff that we were eating that was way after, past best before.
0: As a result of building the bunker, Graham starts his own bunker building business.
1: Tom Butler, the nuclear protection guy, when I was sort of chatting to him, I said, well, i got mine built, and he came down, he was very impressed with it, and uh, I think he took some shots for his you know, his own, uh, uh, you know, pushing his own company. Uh, but he said to me, have you thought about getting into local authorities? Because they're, they're all allowed to build shelters now in their headquarters and and it's 100 percent funded did you know And i didn't know so i thought oh it's a good idea uh but i was just on my own i was had a job i was working but i just thought i'd do a bit of a flyer and i sort of drafted a letter I managed to chat up one of the secretaries in the office completely legally and she very kindly um typed me some letters um which of course in those days it was all very primitive you know it was uh, you typed a letter, you you didn't word pro it or just cut and paste. It was, it was pretty much all handraulic. And, uh, so it was quite a lot of work. And I think we did, I did a mail shot of, I think, some local councils, probably about 20 or 30 locally. And, um, Harrogate district council, um, contacted me, uh, which wasn't too far away from, because I was living in the same place I'm now in East Riding in Yorkshire and said, uh, can you come down and, uh, see what you can do for us and I went down and met the gentleman there I think his name was Mr Benson I think it seemed to ring, ring rings a bell it was only a very small basement It was quite a tricky one really it was an old building but I said we can do something and uh, gave him some ideas and um, he commissioned me to do a sort of study feasibility study how we could do it So I put it to him and costed it out he said right can you get the full design done and do tenders uh, and then I did everything. I did the full design tenders, prepared the specification drawings. Um, went, I did all the tendering, went out to tender to contractors, uh, and uh, got the uh, winning winning bid. Got it approved by the council, and I supervised the work. So that was the first job, and then, and then I got. Um, I think that was was in '85. I think that was. And then I got a job in in Africa. Would you believe? So that sort of interrupted the um, uh, procedure for the nuclear at the time. There wasn't the second job; it was only the one job. And uh, I, I went out to Africa for a while, and then came back to start the, in the new year and um, got pushing again with it. And um, we then got we then got a massive project in Dumfries. Um, Dumfries and Galloway Regional Council which was emergency headquarters and information technology building so it was a very big structure and uh, the commissioners do the whole job so that was great and um, that really got my business going because uh, you know it was big big money really because it was uh, big design fees and you know and we had a good very good working relationship with the architect who worked for the local authority and and we got it all pulled together it all worked and uh um, and then we got down to Horsham and down to East Sussex. We did some various projects down there in London. Um, no, we had a lot on the a lot on the books by the late 80s. And uh, of course, then the Berlin Wall came down, and that was the end of it. All the funding stopped from central government. They thought it was no longer a risk, so they weren't going to fund fund it 100 percent or any percent. So local authorities, that was it. Really, there was no reason for them to spend um council tax monies on that so that was the end of uh, that part of the business but we diversified and survived but it was tricky
0: what's your bunker like now does it still exist
1: uh yeah, yeah it's still there it's a bit damp now because dehumidifiers failed and I'm, I'm no longer living there so i can't maintain it like it used to do but it's still uh, it's still work if if need if it's needed it was. It's pretty much the same conditions. It was built forty odd years ago. Um, reinforced concrete doesn't really change. Uh, you can probably see that from the the bunkers of the Second World War if you go in them now, even though they're not maintained. Still quite a robust. A lot of them. Did you have any trouble from CND? No, I didn't. I didn't have any trouble from CND. No, I mean, uh, I think they're just a bit misguided, really. I think it's a nice ideal, but. The problem is human beings are human beings really if someone's got a a, a gun and someone hasn't the person with a gun's likely to beat you
0: if the worst had happened and you you climb out to a you know post nuclear attack uk how did you think you were going to feed yourselves or heat yourselves in that in that scenario
1: well i suppose you you know you'd, you'd go foraging you'd try to get to a nearby town and and see what was available in supermarkets if they're still around, if they haven't been thieved and wrecked too much. But you'd have to start growing your own food and you'd have to start, you know, husbanding your own livestock, um, uh, collect up some chickens. I'm sure you'd have found some chickens kicking around or a pig or two and, and just gone back to really basic farming and, and just, self, just, just self-sustaining. You would have to do it that way. You'd have to really go back probably a couple of hundred, 300 years in lifestyle it would be a very very steep learning curve and if you didn't learn you would starve and you wouldn't live
0: and we have further information such as videos and links in our show notes which will show as a link in your podcast app now this show wouldn't exist without our generous patrons so i want to thank one and all of them for their support You can very easily become a Patreon by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.